I'd like for you to turn to the second chapter of the Gospel of John. Now this is kind of a for mothers only sermon. Real, women only. But we are going to let you guys listen in. No, it's really kind of a for parents only sermon from this question. And on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited and his disciples to the wedding. And when the, when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, and here's the question, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man saves the good wine serves the good wine first. And when men have drunk freely, then that which is poorer, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did, and Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now I want you to turn to the first chapter of the book of Luke and put your finger in the place. The question, of course, is, woman, what do I have to do with you? With every pleasure, there are hidden responsibilities. And I think I have noticed that the greater the, pre the pleasure, the more extreme are the responsibilities. Two men met in an airport. One of them was rushing to catch a plane in a, another part of the terminal, and the other man was coming along carrying these huge suitcases, so big he could, almost, he could hardly carry them. They were monsters. And the man who didn't have, any suit, who didn't have the suitcases stopped the guy with the suitcases and said, I hate to bother you, sir, but I am really rushing for time. He said, can you tell me the time? So the man with the suitcases set down the suitcases. And he said, sure, I can tell you the time. And he punched a little button on his watch. He said, of course, we're in London, it's 5.30, it's raining outside, and the temperature is 78 degrees. The guy said, man, what a watch. He said, oh yeah, he said, I can punch this button, and I can tell the time in seven major cities in the world. The guy said, you can? He said, yeah. He said, this button, I can tell the temperature in seven major cities in the world. The guy said, man, that is a watch. He said, you haven't seen nothing yet. He said, I can push this button, i got a radio. This button is a tape recorder. He said, I can push this button, and there's a TV. Look at this. He said, man, it is. He said, this button, I get a VCR. The guy said, I have never seen a watch like that in all my life. He said, 
man, he said, that is fantastic. I said, well, appreciate it. He said, I invented it. He said, you invented it. He said, how much does they cost? I'd like to have one. He said, well, just have one. He said, I don't, I don't want to sell it, so I'm going to give it to my son. He said, I'll give you $2,500 for that watch. He said, no, you misunderstood me. It's not for sale. $5,000. He said, I've got to have that watch. He said, no, I'm going to give it to my son. It's not for sale. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll pull out $10,000 tax-free money. I'll buy that watch from me right off your wrist today for $10,000. He said, well, can't beat a deal like that. He talked me into it. So he took off his watch and handed it to the guy, and the guy started walking off, and the guy said, hey, wait a minute, don't you want the batteries? And handed him the suitcase. <laughs> I don't know of a better illustration of motherhood than that. I mean, having a baby, carrying a baby, birthing a baby, holding a baby in your arms is like a watch. But nurturing and rearing a teenager is like carrying suitcases full of them. Have you ever considered the responsibility that great women, great mothers have had in caring for great kids? Sandra Day O'Connor, who is a justice on the Supreme Court, at her inauguration, on the coronation of her uh, time to become a Supreme Court justice, got up and said, When I was born, I was born in a hospital 200 miles from our little four-room adobe hut on the border of Arizona and New Mexico. In our house, we had no electricity, no running water, no plumbing. My mother homeschooled me and my sister. And she was so wonderful to us, she had newspapers delivered to our house by mail from the major cities of the world. And metro magazines like New Yorker and Vogue and Time came every month. And she said, my mother was so concerned that we understood what geography was about that she took me and my sister to visit every state capital west of the Mississippi. No wonder Sandra Day O'Connor's eyes became misty when she accepted the position as the Supreme Court Justice of the United States, thinking about the responsibility of her mother. You ever seen an athlete on, athlete on television say, Hi, Dad? Never say, Hi, Dad. There's a relationship, a special relationship that goes on between a boy or a man and his mother. You know the name O.J. Simpson. He had rickets when he was a little boy. His legs were twisted. And his mother, who lived in a project in California, devised a special kind of brace for his legs. And she put the right foot in the left shoe and the left foot in the right shoe. And he learned to walk with these braces to straighten out his legs. And she kept him out of the gangs and off the streets and out of the fights. And he went to the University of Southern California and became an All-American and went to the pros and became an All-Pro, the Buffalo Bills. And if you watch television, you saw him today. Now he applauds, we applaud O.J. Simpson, but he applauds his mother. Augustine talks about his mother, Monica, and how she influenced his life. And so does Jonathan Edwards, who was the father of the Great Awakening in America, so that when you look over the biographies of great people, you'll be always uh, alert to the fact that there is a special thing that goes on between great men and their mothers, strangely enough. With every great pleasure comes 
responsibility, and the greater the pleasure, the greater the responsibility. And so when you come to Scripture, you find this woman named Jochebed. She already had a son and a daughter, Aaron and Miriam, when Moses was born. And the first chapter of the book of Exodus, or the second chapter of the book of Exodus, it says that when Jochebed looked upon her son, she saw that he was beautiful. Now that's what every mother thinks, isn't it? That's what you thought when you saw that ugly kid of yours, born with, you know, first time you saw him. That word beautiful there uh, does not mean beautiful in the Hebrew. It means, really it means she looked upon her son and she saw that he was a special person, that God had given her a unique person to raise. With that great pleasure came tremendous responsibility. And so she hid her son in the bulrushes. And you know the rest of the story, how she poured her life into the life of her son. And Paul talks about Timothy's mother. And she raised this boy without a Christian father. He was probably a pagan, a, a Greek. And she brought this boy into the world, Timothy, and she poured her life into him and dropped into the soil of his life the seeds of the gospel. But nobody had a more unique relationship with a more unique son than Mary did with her son, Jesus. And nobody was more surprised when she found out she was expecting than Mary was. Not only was she young, probably no older than 14, but she never had known man. She was a virgin. Quite a shock when she found out that she was going to have the pleasure of bearing a child. Quite a responsibility when she discovered that this child was the Son of God Himself. Now my Bible is open to Luke chapter 1 and I'm looking at verse 34. How can this be, she said, since I'm, still a, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, look at this, the holy offspring, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. She's going to give birth. What a joyful occasion. But it's going to be a holy offspring. What a responsibility. How would you like to give birth and, and nurture and rear the Son of God Himself. Well, well, that's a pretty big responsibility. So nine months later after her conception, she brought Him forth and she held in her arms, her hands, the only visible presence of the living God. Talk about responsibility. And on that unforgettable night that we celebrated just a few weeks ago, she brought forth this child. She'd never had a baby before. She'd never known a man before. And Joseph was there, and he'd never assisted in birth before. How close she must have felt as she looked into the face of God, and she treasured up all these things in her heart. How amazed she was when shepherds came to call. Now in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, if you'll turn... Time transpires, and this little baby has reached the age of 12, and he's asking questions in the temple that have never been asked before. And he's so engrossed in this theological dialogue that's going on in the temple that he 
misses the caravan that goes back to Nazareth where his parents are on their way back to Nazareth. And, and in verse 48 of chapter 2, there is this mild correction. It says, And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And this mild re rebuke, Why is it that you're looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Here's the rebuke. Mary said, Your father and I have been looking for you. Jesus said, Now wait a minute. He's no more my father than a stepfather who has a ready-made household is a father. Mild rebuke. Then it says that he went, on, he went back and uh, continued in subjection to them. Uh, mothers, how would you like to raise a perfect child? Read it and weep. A perfect child. Um, never did anything wrong. Went to school. Got his lessons. Never sassed. Never, never smart-mouthed. Never did anything that brought grief to his mother or his father. Never did anything wrong. And one day he stepped into the carpenter shop. Verse, wish I hadn't put those there. Verse 52, and after that day he stepped into the carpenter shop, there were 18 years of silence. I, I thought about it a lot. I, I wish I could have been a fly on a wall in that house in Nazareth and just listen to the conversation of a perfect child with his mother, what they talked about and uh, how they carried on the dialogue of a family and what they did in their house. And then all of a sudden, now remember now, we're talking about this unique relationship that Mary had with her son. All of a sudden, he left. After 18 years of this association, probably his father was dead, one day he walked out of his house and he never came back. And he never really made contact with his family until a little, after a little while, Lord and his disciples he showed up at a wedding at Cana, three and a half miles north of Nazareth, where his mother lived. She was there. It's about like the distance from here to Stone Creek. And he shows up at this wedding, and um, uh, he's making this break with his mother. And they have a problem at this wedding. I've done hundreds of weddings, literally, and there are very few weddings that are not at least one problem. I've seen... People faint, throw up. I, literally, I've seen it all. I, I, I've seen people drop rings. I saw right there one night, the fire came off of the candle and fell down the bride's dress. True story. Talk about some slapping going on. I mean, there was, there was some major slapping going on. A friend of mine was doing a wedding out in Wichita Falls, Texas. True story. And he was right in the middle of the wedding and he heard this little stir and the best man said, don't marry him, I love you. Don't marry him. And true story, he took the bride, the best man did, and they left, left everybody else standing up on the front. 
I heard about this. It, it happened. I, it happened in Tuya, Texas. It didn't happen in my church, but I went and asked the florist because I knew she had been there. She was there. If it really, truly happened, she said, yeah, Jerry, it really happened. The groom was walking around nervous before the wedding and fell in the baptistry. It was full of water. True story. I have seen about everything. I was at a wedding one time, and the preacher said to the groom, who gives this groom to be married? And, and the groom who stood there, he said, see him mouthing it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Who gives this groom to be married? Well, nobody gives a groom to be married. I mean, there are always problems at, 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 at weddings. Now watch this. She's, she has had 18 years of this relationship with her son. But there is this gradual moving away of a boy and his mother. And what she says to her son is what you have said to your son before. It's like they have no eyes. You know, she didn't say, would you go down to 7-Eleven and get some eyes? Didn't say that. They have, no, they have no eyes. They have no wine. And look at his response. He said, woman, I'd like to know when the last time your son said that to you. Woman, it really is not a, an insult or a rebuke. It's like a formal address it's the same word, now watch this, that the demoniac used on Jesus. You know, when he got to the, to the country of the Gadarenes, and this demoniac came out in this wild man, and this, this demon spoke to Jesus and said, What do we have to do with you, Son of the Most High? Torment us not. Same exact words. And what Jesus was saying to the woman is this, to his mother is this, Mother, Mary, what authority do you have over me? Things are different now. I'm no longer your little boy. See why I'm calling this for Mother's Only Sermon? should have saved this for Mother's Day. Just, just known. And there was, these, there was this unforgettable moment that occurred there when the boy and his mother understood that he was grown up. Um, you, you remember the time when you really felt for the first time like you were grown up? Red Book, Red Book Magazine not too long ago had an had a article called For Grown Ups Only. Jane said, it's like when I understood I was growing up, she said, when I was 12, my family took a trip from Vermont to New York. My dad needed a road map reader, and he picked me. And suddenly I felt really grown up. And Valerie wrote, when after work, working for three whole years, I started putting a part of my salary away every week. And I finally had enough to buy a fur jacket and actually paid for it all by myself. And I felt grown up. And Helen writes, When my newborn woke up yowling in the middle of the night and the breast that had the milk he wanted belonged to me, I knew that I was grown up. Let me ask you a question. Do your kids know 
that they are grown up, do they know it from you? One of the most difficult times in a parent's life is coming to the place where he can or she can release his child. Now I want to give you four thoughts to ponder as a parent. And then I want to give an addendum at the end of it. Please jot these down. Number one. Recognize that your child is on temporary loan and not that you have permanent ownership. Recognize that your child is on temporary loan and you don't have permanent ownership. Often we use the words, God owns it all, and we make that appropriate to stewardship. But it is highly appropriate with regard to, with regard to children. God owns them. And you have only them temporarily. Number two, release them slowly and consistently, not suddenly. Kids, you jotting this down, you can use this on your mom. It'll work. Say the preacher said. I think there are times when we go through, we have moments of, of releasing them. Don't, don't you? It's when, let, me, let me give you some. When they start to walk, you release them a little bit. When they start to school, you release them a little bit. My kids are seven years apart, every, all three of them. You know why? One starts to school, my wife said, hey, I'm lonesome. Huh, let's have another baby. <laughs> true, as true as anything I've ever said right there. When they go to school, when they begin to date, it's not that we wanted them really, it's just when they begin to date, <laughs> we release them a little bit. When they start to drive, oh yeah, when you give them that key for the first time, when they go off to school or to the military or to work, we release them just a little bit. It's like letting out a kite until finally you let it go. You do that gradually, slowly, and consistently. It's not like you scream, all right, you idiot, you're on your own. It's like a little bit at a time. All right, number three. Realize your role is changing. Look at this. Realize your role is changing from director-protector to listener and friend. From director-protector to listener and friend. The difference is not damaging and the separation is not fatal. Number four, respect the growth of your child toward independence. Don't resent it, encourage it. Respect the growth of your child toward independence. Don't resent it, encourage it. 
Now, one of the most amazing things about the story of Mary and her relationship with her son is this, in my opinion, humble and natural, is that she was willing, even though she had this special relationship, I mean, what kind of a relationship would a mother have with a perfect child? It's got to be marvelous. But even though she had this marvelous relationship, she gradually released him, consistently she released him, to the point, watch this, where she could stand and watch him die and not interfere. Because Jesus said, this is my hour. This is the reason I have come to this world. And she had gotten to the place that she could so freely release him that she could allow him to die on the cross and not say, stop it, don't do it. I love it. Now here's the addendum. And everybody needs to hear this. Forgive your son and your, or your daughter. Forgive them. Do not cling to resentment and bitterness because your child has sinned. They are sinners just like you are. And they will wrong you. And they will humiliate you. And they will disappoint you. And there will be times when the relationship, the fellowship will break down and rip asunder. It is your responsibility and mine as a parent to forgive them as the Father forgives us. And a part of the beauty of a relationship that a child would have with his parent and a parent would have with a child would be to know that he could never do anything that his father or his mother would not forgive. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for every example in Scripture that helps us to be a better person, to be a better child, to be a better young man, woman, to be a better parent. And I pray that we can treasure these things that we have learned tonight in our heart so that if and when this comes to us, we could practice it and live it out. Help us to look back upon the example of our own parents with gratitude and, and thanksgiving, for I pray in Jesus' name. Now, there might be some decision tonight that one of you would like to make that relates to our Lord. Maybe you need to accept Him as your personal Savior. Never do we ever, ever uh, have a group of people together like this, and not at least somebody is dealing with a decision concerning Jesus Christ. Maybe you'd like to be a part of this church fellowship or to recommit yourself to Christ, to, to begin a year, this year with a, with, a, with a commitment to walk for the, for the Lord and to live like He wants you to live, according to His Word. Whatever God leads you to do in, public, in a public way, a demonstration of your decision. We, we'd encourage you to do that while we stand to sing.